Instagram or Twitter at Josh underscore underscore G. We'll come back on Friday. We have the uh, the the documentary with Ron Artest, the uh, Malice in the Palace documentary. I'm going to review it on Friday. I'll be back on Friday morning, 9 a.m. to 10 a.m. We have more to discuss in the NBA world. Come back Friday, and I'll see you guys next time. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Turner Takeover, and I am your host, Ricky Turner, and today we have a lot to get into, including the Joel, and including the Joel Embiid signing a new extension, four years, $196 million. Um, who will be the best player in the NBA draft? Um, the Clippers trading Pat Beverly and Rajon Rondo. And in NFL news, the, some preseason week one takeaways and the, some NFL top 100 takeaways. And I'll get into the egregious NFL taunting rule. I'll have a lot to say about that later as well. Um, but first, we're going to get into the Joel Embiid signing a four-year, $196 million Supermax extension, which he was eligible because... He finished second in the MVP race. Probably, in my opinion, would probably would have won the MVP had he not gotten hurt. But that has always been the case with Joel Embiid. Also in the running for, I think, Defensive Player of the Year. Um, but he did he did average 28.5 points, 10.6 rebounds, one, about 1.5 one blocks, 1 steal. Shooting 51%, which again, great shooting especially for the amount of shots he takes it's not like he's just a guy who hangs around in the paint he had the I think that was the best shooting percentage of his career at 51 percent he also shot around 38 percent from three um as I said second in MVP vote MVP voting and this was a no-brainer for the Sixers you look at it uh who else do they have um we have Ben Simmons who we don't even know if he's going to be on the roster and the beginning of the season um Tobias Harris we know his role he's more of a scorer he's gonna give you around 20 a game he's not a superstar um but at the moment Joel Embiid is arguably the best big man in basketball um his even with his injuries this guy's going to go out and play hard he's one of those guys who's going to play despite the injuries um we saw it in the playoffs he tore part of his meniscus still put up big numbers um 
I mean, he did have some bad games, but for the most part, Joel Embiid was pretty good in the playoff. <clears throat> pretty good in the playoffs. Um, he's their present. He's their near future. Um, and he right now is a top 10 player in this league. Um, he's, again, I'm more of a Jokic guy. Just f- based on the simple fact that um, Jokic, again, is more durable, doesn't get hurt as much. Um, those two reasons, or, well, I mean, him not getting hurt is probably the biggest reason to me that he's the best center. Otherwise, um, Joel does it better on both ends of the floor, but um, he, he missed, again, 21 games last season, and he's missed a decent portion of games and seasons before. Um, but, you know, he, he, he has led the Sixers to the playoffs each of the past four seasons. Uh, with Joel, um, unlike his counterpart, Ben Simmons, Joel doesn't fall off in the playoffs. Joel keeps up his production night in and night out. Um, I, I get the one, I think the one playoff game, he did have zero points. Uh, but other than that, uh, Joel Embiid has been, you know, he's one of those one of the consistent parts of this Sixers team. You know he's going to show up night in and night out, regular season or postseason, injured or not injured. Joel Embiid's going to put his all on the floor. Uh, where Ben Simmons, we saw it in the postseason. We He plays pretty well in the regular season, and he has spurts where he plays really well. Um, but you don't know if Ben Simmons is going to assert himself night in and night out or if he's going to take his foot off the pedal and say, you know what, um, I got to distribute more tonight. You don't. You truly don't know with Ben Simmons. Um, and also their production when Joel Embiid is on and off the floor. Um when he's on the f- when he's on the floor, their offensive rating is the best in the NBA, um, with 117.8. When he's off the floor, they go- it dips to 106.6. That is 28th in the NBA. Uh, so you you just look at it and you see the production when he's on and off the floor. Everything on the Sixers' offense runs through him. Uh, the again the defensive rating doesn't go down too much. It goes from 105.8 to 106.5. So it dips a little bit around a, around a point. But um, Ben Simmons to me is definitely their more important defensive player. But offensively, um, you could definitely see the production dip when uh. Joel Embiid is on and off the floor. Um, and, you know, again, the Sixers, again, their fan base loves him. They're, he feeds off that those fans' energy. When he makes a big play, when he gets a block, a dunk, and one, you see him put those arms up and get the crowd into it, and they start going crazy. Those Sixers fans love him. Um, you know, he's, again, big in the community, social media, just some of the stuff he says to the media. The media. He's a very likable guy. At least to me, he is. He's a very likable guy. He's again active on social media. He's trolling. Um, he's trash talking. Again, he fits right in in Philadelphia. Philadelphia. He loves Philadelphia. Philadelphia loves him. And if they didn't re-sign him, they were probably stupid. Because again, Daryl Morey. He understands just how much he means to this franchise. He he understands that he's these. Easily the second best second best center in this league. Um, you know, you could argue first, depending on you know, again, if if you don't mind his injuries, 
I do because I, I know Jokic is going to be on the floor. But again, I'm not going to bash Joel Embiid because I'm not. I don't hate Joel Embiid. I, I'm actually a huge Joel Embiid fan. I like him. I like what he does on the floor. I like the presence he brings. Um, and there's really, you know, if you had to pick a perfect center, you know, in all of NBA history, you, you might just pick Joel Embiid. Barring his injuries. The injuries are the only thing that you look at and say, okay, maybe we should shy away. But in terms of all-around game, Joel Embiid might be the best all-around center in NBA history. He could shoot the three, shoot the mid-range. He's got a post game. He's big, brolic. He could back you down, play defense, guard multiple positions. In terms of all-around game, Joel Embiid has an argument in terms of, you know, again, I, I get, you know, centers back in their day. Centers today are asked to do a lot more than centers, you know, in, um, you know, years past or decades past. But Joel Embiid to me is just, he, he could be the best all around NBA, all around center of all time. Is he going to be the best center of all time? Probably not, unless he wins a lot of championships in these years to come. But in terms of his game, talent, Joel Embiid has an argument. Um, but, again, he deserved the contract. He deserved the money. He signed until 2026-2027, I believe. Um, and he, I think he's scheduled to make $263 million until that time. Because he was already under another contract. But, um, good for him. Good for him. Deserved money. Deserved the, again, deserved it. Philadelphia made the right move there. Um, we're going to move on now to the best player, who I think the best player will be in the NBA draft. This is something we talked about on Monday, but, um, I had some connection issues. There was a lot going on Monday that was just very frustrating to me. Um, but, um, this... The best player in this NBA draft, uh, to me, comes down to three people. Uh, Kate Cunningham, Jalen Green, Jalen Suggs. Um, and you could, again, this could go either way, depending on what you on what you want. Cade um, Cunningham, to me, I don't even know why I'm saying it to me. Cade Cunningham is probably the most versatile. He has the most versatile game. He's the most versatile player. He's 6'8", handles of a guard, could get his shot up. Um, create space, um, again, create shots for his teammate. He's basically a guard in a wings body, which is what you want in today's NBA. You want that versatile player, which is what Kate Cunningham is. Great size at 6'8". Um, he could create mismatches on smaller guards. Um, and his defense, um, he's a little slow. He doesn't, again, he has some bounce, but he's not the most athletic guy on the court. So smaller guards, just like he can bully them on offense, um, they could blow by him on defense. Because again, he's he's not too quick. He's not the quickest guy on the court. Um, but again, smart playmaker, great in the pick and roll, um, and he, and he's a bulldozer going downhill just because of that six eight size. Um, so this this is a guy who again, if he could. Um, I don't know how you get quicker, but if he could adjust to the NBA and play better defense, this guy has a chance to be special. He does. Um, again, I'm not sure about... To me, when I, 
when I want a number one player, um, I want an alpha personality. I think that is something Cade Cunningham also lacks um, in terms of I'm better than everyone else on the court. I'm going to be better than everyone else on the court. I could win any matchup that I want. I want to see that alpha personality. I'm not sure if Cade has that, but uh, we'll, we'll see. We'll see again. It could happen. Um, this next guy definitely has an alpha personality. Jalen Green. Um, easily the best scorer in the draft. Um, easily. This guy could, again, score whenever he wants. Elite athleticism. Could hop out of the gym. Take it to the hole. Put put him on a poster. Hit the three. Create his own shot. Um, he, I, he's, he's lengthy, but um, he's sort of... He doesn't have much meat on him. Or Cade Cunningham, again, Cade Cunningham's more big, more built. Jalen Green is just more of a, this athletic freak who could jump out of the gym. He's, he, he doesn't have much meat on him. He could get pushed around in the paint. Um, he Again, he has defensive lapses at times, which, again, some of sometimes his athletic ability could make up for, but sometimes it can't. So he has to become a, a better defender. Um, and he's also that not that great of a passer, but, again, with, with some players coming out of college, um, that takes time. That, that takes time to become a passer, um, you know, reading the defense. Finding your finding your guys, and it also comes with chemistry. So Jalen Green, um, I think is going to again be a great player in this league. He's going to definitely be a great scorer. Um, he still has to develop on the defensive side of the ball and the playmaking end of the ball or playmaking as well. But I, I think he definitely has the capability of becoming the best player in the draft if he could improve in those two departments. Jalen Suggs, this is my favorite player in the draft. This is my favorite player in the draft. Um, I think he's the most complete player. I Great ball handler. High IQ playmaker. Great at setting up his teammates. Great in the pick and roll. Great, again, getting to the rim. Um, you know, his size, is his strength. He's not, he's not a guy who's he, to get knocked down. He's not afraid to go to the rim. Um, I love his grit tenaciousness we saw that on Gonzaga at Gonzaga he's not afraid of anyone not gonna back down um definitely an alpha personality a leader um the one thing he does need is a more consistent three-point shot that is one thing that Jalen Suggs last we've um lacks um we've seen potential there with the three-point shot but we haven't seen that consistent you know I'm a knockdown three-point shooter we've We've seen spurts where he's looked good, but I, I think that's the one thing he lacks. Um, and if he, and I love his work ethic, so I think he's going to make sure he gets a better three-point shot. Um, and again, I love his potential. And to me, I don't, I don't know if you guys agree with this. I think he's a bigger Chris Paul. I could see this guy being a bigger Chris Paul. I think he, again, Chris Paul. For his size, is a gritty, tenacious defender, not afraid of anyone, trash talk, not afraid to take it to the hole, um, great high IQ playmaker, um, great ball handler. I think the similarities are there, um, and I really like Jalen Suggs, and I, I'm i going to say, I think he's going to be the best player in the draft. Um, I think he's already the most complete player. 
I, I think his only real lack of his lack, one thing he lacks is that three-point shot. And it's, and it's not, it's not like he's a horrendous three-point shooter. He's just not consistent. And I think he's, once he figures that out, watch out. This, this is going to be the best player in the draft. I was having trouble between him and I, I would I'm gonna say Jalen Green's gonna be better than Cade Cunningham too. Um, Cade Cunningham I think is going to be good. I'm not sure if he's gonna be great. Um, but we'll see what happens. I'm taking Jalen Suggs as my best player in the draft though. Um, he again love his mentality, his com- the completeness of his game, the work ethic. He's a, he's a natural-born leader. That's one thing people have said about him at, at Gonzaga. This guy could walk into a room and just take control. This guy could. This guy's a culture changer there in Orlando. And I think he's going to take control of the reins. And I think you're going to see some growth. I think you're going to see some potential out of this Magic team this year. I think the, he was a steal at number five. A steal. A steal. And I think you're going to see three to five years, this guy start to emerge in the best point guard conversation. I think he's that good. He may not be the scorer that Jalen Green is. He may not, you know, have the necessary playmaking ability that Cade Cunningham has. But completeness of his game overall, I think he's the most well-rounded player coming out of the draft. I'm taking Jalen Suggs. You guys can take who you want. I'm I'm riding with him. Um. Now we are going to move on to the Clippers trading Pat Beverly. Rajon Pat Beverly, who's now in the Timberwolves, so they turn that into Jarrett Culliver and Juan. I forget Hernan Juan Hernan Gomez or I, I Juancho Hernan Gomez, something like that. Um, but they turn that into Jarrett Cull- Culliver and Juancho Hernan Gomez. Um, but they also traded the Clippers also traded Rajon Rondo and Daniel Orturu to the Grizzlies as well. Um, and that was the Clippers' longest tenured player, Pat Beverly. And I think that is now Ovika Zubac, if I'm not mistaken. But they trade those two for Eric Bledsoe. And for the Clippers, in terms of experience, in terms of, you know, veteran leadership, who I want in in my, in my corner come playoff time. Because, again, the Clippers are still going to make the playoffs. I think it's a huge loss. Pat Beverly, say what you want. Say he's a dirty player. I agree with you. He does have some dirty plays. Um, but again, he's, he's a guy who's going to trash talk. He's a guy who's going to get in the opponent's head. And, you know, he, he's a guy who, who made some plays in, in those playoff in that playoff series against the Suns. He's a guy, again, he's gritty. He's physical. He's, he doesn't have much offensive upside, but again, he's a guy who you want and you're, you love him. If he's on your team, you hate him. Hate him, hate him, hate him if he's going against you. I thought, you know, if if there was a team Pat Beverly was going to go to that fit his mentality, um, 
the Memphis Grizzlies were probably it, but the Memphis Grizzlies, I think, were just trying to get rid of Eric Bledsoe, dump his contract, and I think they tried to dump Pat Beverly just to get some more younger guys in there, like Jarrett Culliver and Juancho Hernan Gomez, who, again... Again, those are two young players. We'll see what will happen. But again, Pat Beverly is also suspended early in the season for attacking Chris Paul. So that's going to be a decent amount of games, I assume. Um, Rajon Rondo. Uh, uh, he may not be the biggest factor in the regular season. But there's a reason he's called Playoff Rondo. He wasn't the same as he was with the Lakers. But this is a guy. He's still a great defender. He's... He's known for his floor IQ, knowledge of the game, breaking down defenses, and that is valuable come playoff time. That is really valuable. Um, he, again, knows how to break down defenses, and I think both of their experiences, experience, they're going to be missed. And both of these guys, as I said, they don't fit with the Grizzlies' timeline. Um, they already traded Pat Bev, as I said. Uh... I don't know what they're going to do with Rajon Ronda because if you remember the beginning of last season, um, they, the Lakers, uh, or I think was it the Lakers traded Rondo to the Hawks or Rajon Rondo signed with the Hawks and he was supposed to mentor Trey Young. He wasn't about that. He got up out of there and he went to LA back to the Clippers, but We'll see what happens there. He, maybe he'll try and be a mentor to John Morant, but I just don't see that happening. Rajon Rondo, that's just not... I don't think that's in his nature, being a mentor. I think he wants to be off the bench, and I think he wants to provide valuable minutes. I don't think he wants to mentor someone. Um, but again, I also like the leadership these guys brought, because to me, if you look at Kawhi and Paul George, are, the, are they leaders? Are they guys... Who are going to be vocal and you know be leaders and rally the troops and no I don't think that's the case these two are more quiet quiet you know personalities they're more lead I don't know they're, they're just not very vocal leaders as with like a guy like LeBron James a guy like you know Kevin Durant they're more vocal leaders and you know Pat Bev and Rajon Rondo I think they, they called, or, you know, they were the guys who were going to speak up. They were the guys who were going to be more vocal. And, you know, if you remember when Kawhi took that one shot, uh, and Rajon Rondo's like, why do you take that? And he sort of got angry with them and, you know, started yelling at Kawhi. I think that might have been the death sentence for Rajon Rondo, honestly, because I, I, can't, I don't think Kawhi appreciated, especially when he knows he's the star player, him being called out. But he was in the wrong. Rajon Rondo wasn't, but I think that might have been the death nail with um, Rajon Rondo with the Clippers. But as for, again, we're going to move on to Eric Bledsoe here. Um, Eric Bledsoe, again, he's, again, two-time all-defensive player. Great on the defensive end of the ball. Again, he's a little pit bull. He's gonna give you, he's gonna give you everything he's got. But I'm just, I'm not crazy about Eric Bledsoe gives you more offensive upside than Pat Bev and maybe Rajon Rondo do in terms of scoring the basketball. Um, but you know, you look at his his year in New Orleans last year. Um, Twelve points, four assists. 42%, 34% from three. 
not an efficient guy. He's not efficient. He's not a great three-point shooter. He's a guy who is going to play more fast-paced. He's going to push the tempo. But, you know, his... You know, four years ago in Milwaukee, he was averaging 18 points. And you look at that now, that's just not the case. Um, He's down almost six points. Not a great playmaker. Um, And... You know, you you look at Eric Bledsoe. What is he going to do come playoff time? Well, let's look at his recent playoff history with Milwaukee. Um, he played horrendous against Miami uh, when they lost that series to Miami. I, I think, what, he, he shot around 33%, something like that. Um, and then you, you look at Toronto. Um, he, he played horrendous against them. Um, Eric Bledsoe hasn't had the best playoff resume over the past, you know, couple times he's been in the playoffs. And that is one of the reasons why Milwaukee traded him. Because he played so poorly come playoff time. And he just, he doesn't show up when, he, he didn't show up when, you know, Giannis needed him. Drew Holiday, when Milwaukee in general needed him to step up. Eric Bledsoe didn't do that. Eric Bledsoe failed to step up and failed to provide for the Milwaukee Bucks when they needed him most. Is he going to do that with the Clippers? Because, again, Pat Bev, say what you want about him offensively. Um, He wasn't asked to do much offensively. Um, But he made plays when he needed to. He hit big threes when he needed to. He made key defensive plays when he needed to. Is Eric Bledsoe going to provide that for the L.A. Clippers? He hasn't shown it so far. He didn't show it with Milwaukee. I can't see him showing it now. I think I think you could argue uh, that I, I think you could argue the Clippers got worse. I really I really do. Um, I I think this was honestly more of a way to clear up cap for the Clippers than anything. Um, but I think it's going to cost them more than it's going to benefit them. And it's just tough. But I, I think th- I think that's how this is going to turn out. Um, you know, the holiday season, we're going to move on now. We're going to move on to the Christmas Day slate. I'm excited. I like these games. Um, the holiday season, not here yet. We're only in August. Uh, but we got a couple more months. Actually, about four more months until Christmas. A week, Four months or four months and a week to the day. So, um, we're going to go through our Christmas Day slate. Quickly run through all the games here. Um... Noon, the Atlanta Hawks and Trey Young going to return. You know, the holidays are supposed to be friendly, love and joy, all that fun stuff. No, this isn't going to be a loving game, especially for Trey Young, as he's going to be harassed when he goes to New York. Um, he's He has turned officially into the villain of New York. He's probably the most hated player in New York right now, Trey Young. Um, Trey Young is going to return to the Garden, though. Probably the most, as I said, the most hated person in New York. Um, and these are two young and upcoming teams that seem poised for the playoffs. Uh, New York is going to look for revenge after, you know, being gentlemen, gentlemen swept last postseason by this Atlanta Hawks team who made a run to the Eastern Conference Finals after beating the Sixers in the next series. Um, but you got Trey Young, John Collins, Werder, Bogdanovich, Clint Capella, Cam Reddish. Um, 
the Knicks sort of upgraded offensively, which was one of their big flaws. You look at Kemba Walker. Um, Kemba Walker, Evan Fournier. Uh, Obi Toppin has shown potential in the preseason. Uh, Julius Randle, of course. Mitchell Robinson, Derrick Rose. Um, these are, again, this is going to be, this is going to be an interesting series or an interesting game as, you know, New York is upgraded offensively and the Hawks are running it back with that young core who has the potentials through the roof for that young core and John Collins coming back on a new deal at 2.30. Now moving on to our next game, the Boston Celtics at Milwaukee Bucks. The defending champs headlined by their big three in Giannis, Drew Holiday, Chris Middleton, um, they're they're sort of retooled. They have to defend their throne. Uh, they didn't do much, honestly. They I think they just re-signed Bobby Portis. They still have Brooke Lopez, Pat Connaughton, those two key players coming off the coming off or Brooke Lopez starts, but Bru- Bobby Portis and Connaughton off the bench. And with the Celtics, a little bit of reshuffling there. You have Ime Udoka, the Nets um, assistant coach, now the Celtics head coach, Jason Tatum, Jaden, Jalen Brown, the recently re-signed Marcus Smart. Uh, they added some veterans, Dennis Schroeder off the bench, Al Horford returning. Uh, I don't know how useful he's going to be, but we'll see. He had some productive years with Boston. Ennis Kanner, and they got some young talent. You, you know, you look at this, you look at this uh, Celtics team, they've got some young talent. Um... In Peyton Pritchard, who, again, got locked down by my second favorite player in the draft, Davion Mitchell. But he just put up, um, Peyton Pritchard put up 92 points in a Pro-Am game in, um, I think it was Portland, Seattle, something like that. Something on the one of those West Coast states. And then promising defensive presence, Robert Williams. So, the Boston Celtics looking to sort of rebound after an injury-riddled, barely 500 season in which they got the 8th seed. So they're going to be looking to improve. And at 5 o'clock, 5 o'clock, everyone's eating Christmas dinner, maybe done after Christmas dinner. On that West Coast, they just might be starting Christmas dinner. But, or Christmas lunch, whatever you, whatever, whatever anyone eats. Um, Golden State is returning to full strength. You have Curry, Thompson, Green, Wiggins, Wiseman, Young Pieces with Kuminga, Moody, um, the Warriors trying to make one last finals run. Phoenix looking to bounce back after losing in the finals, blowing a 2-0 lead to Milwaukee. Um, they're, they brought back Chris Paul. They're saying run it back. Devin Booker, Aiden, Bridges, Payne, and Johnson off the bench. This is going to be a good game. This is like young versus old. Um, the future of the Western Conference versus the past, or the maybe you know, still the present. We don't know. Um, the fu- the the present slash future and the past slash present of the Western Conference. Um, that's gonna be a good one. I'm excited for that one. And this is probably the game everyone looking forward to at the eight o'clock slot. The two Eastern and Western Conference heavyweights, the two favorites to make it to the finals. You could go so many different ways, so many different storylines to promote this. Kyrie LeBron, LeBron KD, Westbrook KD, 
um, hard on Harden Westbrook. Um, but basically, the two Eastern and Western Conference heavyweights, that's the way to promote this. Um, the two big threes going at it. LeBron, Westbrook, and Davis going up against Durant, Kyrie, and Harden. Um, with the additions of Carmelo Anthony to the Lakers and Blake Griffin to the Nets. Um, but the Lakers, you know, they add Westbrook. They It was sort of disappointing. They got eliminated in the first round playing playing the Suns, but they add Westbrook. They gave up a lot of pieces to my Washington Wizards, who I hope will make the playoffs this year. Um, but they get Westbrook. People are questioning, is it going to fit? LeBron loves the doubt. LeBron embraces the doubt. But there, if there's one man who could make Westbrook and Le- Westbrook and himself fit, it's LeBron. Honestly, if you look at it, LeBron seems is going to try and make this work. He wants Westbrook. He trusts Westbrook. He trusts that um, just the energy, the confidence Westbrook brings. And, you know, the one thing Westbrook does and the one thing you can't deny He's going to give it 100%. He he is going to run through a wall for 82 games. He doesn't care. That is Russell Westbrook. His energy level does not decline. But the Nets, they had a lot of injuries to close the season, just like the Lakers did. You had Kyrie hurt. You had you had Harden playing, you know, laboring on that hamstring. But We'll see what happens. Um, both of these teams looking to be healthy. This could be the last time we see LeBron KD KD on Christmas Day. So this could, you know, just appreciate greatness. I think this is a game where you appreciate appreciate greatness of two great teams. All of these great players packed in one primetime 8 o'clock game. In the last game on Christmas Day, the West Coast showdown between these two young, these two young teams, Mavs at Jazz. Everyone loves this. I, I'm a big Jazz. I, I like the Jazz. You know, if if there was another team that I'd have to pick, it might be the Utah Jazz. Cause I don't know, just something about the Utah Jazz. Um, but you know, you have Doncic and Porzingis. And the newly signed Hardaway going up against Mitchell Gobert and the re-signed veteran point guard Mike Conley. Neither of these teams really made any big moves. Neither um, the Mavs, I, I guess, signed Reggie Bullock. Uh, that's about it, honestly. They signed Reggie Bullock, um, but both of these teams seem to be sticking with sticking with their guns. The Mavs signed Jason Kidd as head coach too. Um, but Dallas is looking to finally make it out of the first round as they took the Clippers to seven games instead of six like the year before. Uh, Utah thought they had the Clippers um, in the Eastern Conference semis, but they lost in six uh, with, you know, a hampered Mike Conley. And they believe that, you know, Mike Conley's healthy. They beat the Clippers. And I actually might agree with them. But again, Kawhi Leonard also got hurt, so you have to also have to look at that. But... We'll see what happens, but again, I'm a big Mike Conley fan. I like the Jazz, and this is going to be a great, you know, the the the, the exciting, explosive shooting guard in Mitchell against the triple-double machine in Luka Doncic. Um, 
We'll see what happens, but this is a great slate of games. I'm excited. I hope you're excited. It's going to be a great time on Christmas Day. Always look forward to these Christmas Day games. Um, we're going to move on to our NFL slate of things now. Uh, our preseason week one takeaways, just as preseason week two gets ready to um, take shape here. Um, my first takeaway, Dwayne Haskins. I think he showed why he's the number two QB. I'm a Steelers fan. You know, I I, I, I like the way Dwayne Haskins played. I'm not the biggest Mason Rudolph fan, but I'm willing to give him a chance. Um, but again, he didn't have a good game. He failed to lead the offense to any scores. Um, Dwayne sort of rallied the troop, led, led them to three second half scores, and was a part of all four scoring drives for Pittsburgh. I uh, led them back from 13-0 down to a 24-16 win. Uh, Haskins, you know, moved the ball down the field, hit open intermediate receivers. Uh, he did have, I think, one throw that was a little bit dicey. It probably sh- should have been picked off, but um, that's something he's going to have to improve on. And I honestly think he should get the start this week coming up against the Lions. I want to see what Dwayne Haskins can do against better competition. And if he fails, then put Mason Rudolph back in there. But I want to see what Mason Ru- or Dwayne Haskins could do against a better competition. Um, he went 16 to 22, 161 yards and a touchdown. Rudolph, he he played efficient. I think he was eight of nine for like 72 yards, something like that. But you know, the goal in this league is to put points on the board, and if you can't do that, you're not going to succeed. And that's something Mason Rudolph has failed to do throughout his career: put points on the board, make big plays. Uh, we'll see what happens, though, but um, Dwayne Haskins, to me, should, I think he should get the, the start in week three here, or, or you know, if Ben starts, be the number two guy coming off coming off the bench. Um, Justin Fields, a lot of ups and downs in his debut, rocky start, three straight incompletions, um, next possession, fumble, somehow he got back onto the ball, I don't know how he, he did that, because that, that should have been Dolphins' ball, but... Um, after that, you know, what do you look for in a rookie QB? He, he starts, you start off slow. Does he sulk? Does he get down on himself? No, that's not what Justin Fields did. I, I know it's against not the best competition, but you, you got to take what's given to you. Um, and he played well. Um, he rebounded in the second half, led the Bears to two touchdowns. Um, you know, he was 14, 14 to 20, 170 170 yards, two total touchdowns, uh, and he did show star, star potential. He was really comfortable outside the pocket, extending plays, finding receivers. Great, he, one of his touchdowns was with his legs. He could he could move, and you know his other touchdown I think was off a of play action to Jesse James, wide open, wide open by the way. But um, Justin Fields really showed that hey, I could I, I could play. And I think he's going to be a star in this league. And I think the Bears have found something. But I still think he go Dalton week one. I really do. I, unless he's really ready. Really, really, really ready. I don't think you throw him into the fire like that. Another winner. I'm going Drew Locke. And again, both Denver QBs played well. But I was looking. I, w- I wanted to see Drew Locke take over. I wanted to see Drew Locke play well. Because Drew Locke, to me, is the higher upside, and I'm rooting for him. I like Teddy Bridgewater. I think he deserves a shot in this league. But if, if, if you're Denver, I think you go with the guy with 
Again, lower ceiling, but high, high upside. Drew Locke is a gunslinger, and he showed that when Denver played Minnesota. All the weapons around him. Um, Hamler, um, Judy, Sutton, Font, Javante Williams, Melvin Gordon. A pretty good, you know, saw pieces along the offensive line. He played well. Um, f- um, you look at Locke, 5 of 7, 151 yards, 2 TDs, an 80-yard bomb to K.J. Hamler, and another 33-yard pass to Jerry Judy. Um, he looked great. He looked like a gunslinger. He looked like a guy who could push the ball down the field, which is what Denver is looking for. Um, I, I thought Denver had some other rookies that played well. Played good as well. Sertain had a pick six. Um, he had 11 pass coverage snaps, zero catches allowed. This guy looked like a shut down corner. And it, you know, people were a little surprised when Denver took him, but he, I thought he played well. Um, he showed he could be locked down. He, he showed he could, you know, be Denver's lead guy there with Kyle Fuller. Um, but then you also look at Javante Williams, who Denver viewed as the best running back in the draft. Five rushes, 29 yards. I think he has a bright future in this league. Or at least, I think he could be a starting caliber running back. Maybe an above average starter. But he played well. And lastly, I'm going Jordan Love. Is he the future? I mean, the Packers lost 26-7. to But Jordan Love, I think, needed this game. With all the Aaron Rodgers noise, all the focus on Aaron Rodgers, Jordan Love went out and played pretty well. Um... 12 of 17, 122 yards, a touchdown. Again, started off rocky. He didn't look great, but again, he had he he had some good throws. Um, he took him a bit. He had, as I said, two three and outs, but eventually led them on a nine play, 88 yard drive, littered with crisp reads, accurate passes. One of the passes, I don't know how he got in there. That should have been a pick, but it was right on the money. He in between two defenders and then he also had one play in a televised I think scrimmage where he put it on a frozen rope a deep bomb over the safety his receiver just dropped it Um, but Jordan Love has looked impressive and I think if you're Packers fans this was encouraging you needed this because Aaron Rodgers is gone next year and you need a QB and Jordan Love looked pretty good we're going to move on to the NFL top 100 takeaways Whew. Um, we have some interesting ones. Uh, as you know, play I think 100, and 100 through 41 came out last week sometime. I forget the exact date. But um, it might have it might have been out um, Sunday or something like that. But uh, these are, you know, just four of my questionable rounds. Four is just my number. I usually do four for around anything. I did four for my preseason week one takeaways, but four is just a good number for me. Um, but we're going to start first guy on here, Jesse Bates. This was disrespectful, in my opinion. I'm a Steelers fan. I don't like the Bengals, but Jesse Bates is a pretty damn good football player, in my opinion. He is. Um, when you're in consideration for being one of the best safeties in the NFL and you're ranked 90th, that was disrespectful. Very disrespectful to Jesse Bates. Pro Football Focus had him ranked as the highest graded safety this season. This season. How was he 90th? 
I'm not saying he's better than Minka Fitzpatrick because, again, pro football focus doesn't determine anything, but it has to mean something that he was ranked first among safeties this season, and he also allowed the third best completion percentage among safeties. He had 109 tackles, 78 solo tackles, 16th in the NFL, 4th among safeties, 4th, 15 pass breakups and 44 tries, 3, three interceptions were top 10 among safeties in the NFL. Um, and again, he's the guy who could come down not afraid to hit. You saw him lay the boom on Juju Smith-Schuster. That pained me as a Steelers fan, but it was a good play. Went downhill, smacked him right in the mouth. Said, you ain't dancing on my logo. Um, but he's all over the field for Cincinnati. He is easily their best defensive player. And he is not 90th. Please. That was utterly ridiculous. To me, he's a top three to five safety in the NFL. He's a, at least top three to five in the NFL. Easily above 90th. Definitely above. That was disgraceful. And I get it's the players voting. So players, what don't you see in Jesse Bates? Might It might be the fact that he's on the Bengals, but still, he's better than 90th. The Bengals just stink. And Joe Burrow was out. The Bengals might have a bright future, but they didn't play well last year. Tredavious, I'm moving on, Tredavious White at 95, another ridiculous ranking. What are you doing, players? You guys know talent. You guys know talent when you see it. Trey White's better than 95. Um, but he's the best player on this Bills defense. He's in the conversation for top Five corners in the NFL. He's locked down some of the league's best receivers. Um, and he's ranked behind Corey Davis. Don't get me wrong, Corey Davis played well. But you didn't you don't think AJ Brown had a factor in Corey Davis putting up almost a thousand yards? Really? He had Trey White had the third third fewest yards against him at uh, wide receivers i don't know what the players were thinking here i really don't and let me get to some players who i think were ranked a little bit too high jj watt why is he ranked 66 don't get me wrong jj watt's a great guy he's still a solid nfl player but how he had 36 tackles and only 5 sacks. 2 forced fumbles. That's worthy of 66? And he listen, he's going to improve Arizona's D-line. He's still a solid run stuffer. But he's not the sack machine he once was. He's had a lot of injuries. A lot of stuff that he's went through. He's not 66th in the NFL. I'm sorry. He has nine sacks, and he was, remember, he's ranked, he's been ranked in the top 100 for nine straight seasons, including the past two seasons where he's combined for a total of nine sacks. How is that worthy of top 100? Who's voting here? Texans players? Where do Texans players have this guy ranked? And I get it, stats don't tell the whole story. But when you have nine sacks over the past, two, when you when, just when you have five sacks this year and you're ranked 66, 
but come on. He's he's a good player, but he's not what he once was. He's not. He's not a top 100 NFL player. Um, and Cole Beasley, I get he was only ranked what like 95th, something like or 93rd, 90s. I don't know. He's ranked in the 90s. How was Cole Beasley ranked? He's a great slot receiver, great toughness. Played on basically a broken leg in the in the Bills AFC Championship game, but he had 82 receptions. 21st in the NFL. You know who had more receptions than that? Juju Smith-Schuster with 97. Um, 967 yards. That was 23rd in the NFL. Four touchdowns. You don't want to know what that ranked? Those four touchdowns really must have pushed him, pushed him over the top. He That was 63rd in the NFL. Cole Beasley is not a top 100 player in any category. I'm sorry. He, d- he doesn't have one stat that jumped out at you. He doesn't. Like, come on. Players, what? Did you just did you like him so much because he played in a broken leg? Listen, I'll give him all the props for that, but that doesn't make him a top 100 player. Just doesn't. But that brings us on to our last bit of inf... Or not last, actually. We still have one more um, topic after that. Um... The NFL taunting rule. I'm going to have a lot to say about this. This is utterly ridiculous. The NFL announced last Tuesday that, you know, as part of its quote-unquote state... uh, I shouldn't say quote-unquote. Their stated commitment to protecting players from unnecessary risk um, while keeping the game fair, competitive, and exciting that they're going to enforce taunting penalties more. The video they sent out was, I think... Paris Campbell, I think, I'm not sure if it was a punt return, reception, or what. He was running out of bounds. Miles Jack hits him, and he gets up, and he's flexing in Miles Jack's face. Oh, and then this is what really ticked me off. This comment right here by John Mara, the Giants owner, or part of the competition committee. He stated in a comment yesterday that, quote-unquote, the people on the competition committee get get kind of sick and tired of seeing the taunting that goes on from time to time on the field. Nobody, nobody wants to see a player to, nobody wants to see a player taunting another player. Who are you speaking for? In term, when you say nobody, you ain't speaking for me. You ain't speaking for the people on Twitter that said, excuse me? No. Taunting makes the game more exciting. I could see you headbutting someone, you, you know, getting in someone's face, making contact with the helmet. All right, fine, I get that. But when you're flexing, you can't celebrate after you run someone over. You can't flip the ball, spin the ball. You can't do any of that, really? This is turning into the no fun league. Listen, they allowed celebrating. They allowed all of that. What is the big deal with taunting? Did you see in the Super Bowl when, um, I think it was Tyree Kill earlier in the season, I think burnt Antoine Winfield and does his signature peace sign. That'll be a flag now. 15-yard penalty. Load of baloney by the NFL committee. But in the playoffs, um, Antoine Winfield got him back, I think. I'm not sure if he laid a hit on him, intercepted Pat Mahomes. He gave him the peace sign right back. You don't want you, you're telling me you didn't like to see that. Maybe not a Chiefs fan, but 
You're telling me it's it's just like bittersweet revenge. Like I got you back. Like taunting, like you moss the guy, you can't get up, step over him, flex, you can't do any of that. Come on. That is Charmin Ultra Soft right there by the NFL. That is that's baloney. Why can't like why? Why can't a player celebrate when he does something good? Why can't he flex? Why can't he spin the ball? Give the first down? Spin the... Like, what is the harm in that? If... As Tony Dungy said, if you don't want to see another player celebrating, stop him. Stop him. That is what you do. You don't... The refs don't need to throw a flag and stop him themselves. This is why players get so aggravated. Because they can't express themselves. This isn't baseball. You know, even baseball's getting a little bit more lax with their bat flips. And, you know, they're staring down the pitchers down the first baseline. But if you don't like them, stop them. Why? Like, you, really? This isn't a gentleman's... I mean, I, I get it. You're supposed to show respect for your opponents. But you can't celebrate. You can't show. have a little fun. You can't get you can't get fired up with your teammates. This is why people call the NFL or calling the NFL the no fun league right now, John Mayer. I get it. You're trying to keep your players safe, but they're gonna they're doing that again at their own risk. They're celebrating, and I'm I'm not saying I'm not saying another player needs to go out and kill someone after he flexes on them. I'm not saying that, but you know. He, that's just gonna be some extra. All right, you gonna flex on me? I'm I'm gonna hit you. I'm not gonna let you do that the next time. I make a big play on you. I'm gonna let you know about it. That's how you stop them. That's how you stop players from taunting, not throwing a flag on them. That that is soft. Uh, uh moving on now. We're gonna move on because we're running out of time. Um, but Jamal Adams. Jamal Adams got a sweet new deal with the Seahawks as he's now the highest paid safety in the NFL with a contract of four years, $70 million, $38 million guaranteed. That now sets the bar for my guy Minka Fitzpatrick as he's going to want some money to be paid too. We'll see what happens, but hopefully they could pay Minka because they need to. Um, but back to Jamal Adams, this comes after, I think it was reported a couple days ago that if the, if the Seahawks franchise tagged him, that he was going to file a grievance that he was a linebacker because linebackers get more money. Linebackers get paid more than safeties. And if you franchise tagged him and I think Fred Warner or no Darius Leonard just got the new highest paid deal to be a, the highest paid linebacker. So he's going to get, I, I think it's a percentage of the what what um what Darius Leonard got as the high <clears throat> as the highest paid linebacker. And I'm gonna be honest here, Jamal Adams plays more like a linebacker. Um the Seahawks sort of use him he's a more down in the box run stopping linebacker. At least last year he was years prior if you look at his coverage grade. His coverage grade was actually among the best in the NFL because I think he had an 80 was it 89 or 87 then 89 and then it dropped significantly i'll get into that later but he had two pretty good years of coverage grades and then then it dropped last year i think that might have played a part just because of a new scheme but 
Um, the Seahawks, I'm going to just stick with the Seahawks. Uh, they use him more as a hybrid linebacker. He, had, he has 16 sacks combined in the last two seasons. That's pretty good. That's more sacks than, you know, some notable pass rushers. J.J. Watt. Um, Matthew Judon, I think he has, he has more sacks than in the last two seasons. Um, including, I think he had nine and a half last year. Or nine and a half, you know, yeah, last year, which was a Seahawks record. And I think most for a defensive back since, I think, 1982, if I'm not mistaken. Um, he had no inter- no interceptions last year. Very unusual for a safety. He has two interceptions his whole career. Vince Wilfork, I think, either has more or the same amount as him. I think J.J. Watt, too. Um, he has 78 pressures over the last four years as well. That is 30 more than any cornerback or defensive back in the NFL. Um, his coverage grade dipped significantly. Here we go. To 52 and a half. Atrocious for a safety after being around 90 in around two years. Those, you know, second and third year in New York. He said, you know, oh, I had one bad play versus the Bills. And all of a sudden people think I'm a bad coverage safety. Um, you have to have more than one bad play to be rated at a 52 and a half coverage grade. Um, um, you know, he, he had some other notable p- plays. He gave up three 20 yard catches to Julian Edelman. He had three, Julian Edelman had three 20 yard catches the whole entire season for the Pats and that terrible Pats offense. When we thought the Patriots almost beat the Seahawks and we're like, okay, New England might be something. And, and they were. They were around average. But I'm going to give Adams a little bit of leeway here. It was his first season in a cover three system. He played cover two the rest of his career in New York. So I'll give him a break. He, he's going to have a, this whole offseason understand his role. He's going to have that chip on his shoulder. People are saying, Blitz boy, he can't cover. So he's going to have all this motivation coming into this season to prove people wrong and get used to the system. Um, and I think being improving in coverage is going to be a huge part in proving his worth. Is he worth the $17 million price tag? Um, did the Seahawks overpay for Jamal Adams? Um, he's going to have to prove them wrong. He's going to have to prove he could cover better. Because I think, you know, you're a safety. You have to do a lot more than be able to blitz. You have to be able to cover as well. And the Seahawks also had to pay Dwayne Brown, who is demanding over $15 million. And if that does happen, the Seahawks will join the Chiefs as the only teams in the NFL to be playing five players over $15 million per year. But you look at the Seahawks, you look at the Chiefs, Seahawks are still a good team, but the Seahawks have a lot more holes in their roster, including on that defense, along the offensive line, and they also have to pay DK Metcalf sometime in the future as well. So, um, hopefully, they're also paying Tyler Lockett an annual salary of, I think, $17 million. Is he worth that much? I don't know, but the Seahawks are going to have to hope Jamal Adams is worth his money, and will they pay Dwayne Brown? I don't know. 